Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. So I have been um, reading about the rise of something called deaths of despair. And so um, I want to alert you to this if you're not already aware. We have talked about this um, on prior occasions, but it's it's probably been about a year um, because we were talking about it in the context of really staggering suicide rates um, in 2018. And so I'm pretty sure we were probably talking about it in 2019. And now it's 2020, and with U.S. unemployment claims skyrocketing to 14.7%, and the Treasury Secretary saying yesterday that we should all expect that number to rise yet further, um, people in the country are beginning, some people in the country are beginning to despair. Uh, things are not getting better by their assessment. They are, they're experiencing things as actually getting worse And so if you add unemployment to long periods of isolation and a nation that's already addicted to drugs, alcohol and violence, um, you have a recipe for what researchers call deaths of despair, namely suicide and overdose related to alcohol and drugs. And so um, when we talk about what happens when we're isolated, what happens when a person is either completely by themselves for a long period of time or... um, people as a small group are by themselves for a long period of time. We begin losing uh, a sense of the boundaries of, uh, of ourselves, of one another, and of our behaviors. And so I was, I was recalling that Tom Hanks movie where he's stranded on an island. I feel like he was like a FedEx airplane. He was like on a, what was it called, Paul? It was called Castaway. Castaway, yeah. and like he used a soccer ball, right, to to actually create something with which he could communicate. And so, let me just say right now that you are not completely alone. God is present, and He is closer to you than your next breath. It's literally a matter of turning to Him and acknowledging that He's there. Um, despair is is not. Uh, a response that is faithful to the faithfulness of God. God will be faithful. God is faithful. You can count on him. And so let me encourage you right now to take a moment and turn to God. It's not going to surprise you that I believe uh, confidently that the answer to our country's dependency on drugs, our, uh, the, the increasing numbers of people that are turning to suicide as a... Uh, as a forever solution to what is a temporary problem. Um, Friends, it's not going to surprise you that I am going to lift up Jesus as the answer. And we each need to become adept at doing that. We each need to become adept at offering Jesus to people who feel all alone, who, who are despairing, who don't have a sense of, uh, of hope, 
You and I actually help others perceive eternally. That's our job. That's our role and our responsibility as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven set free in in the world right now for such a time as this. We're not alive right now by accident. We're alive right now by God's uh, ordained sense of who he needs right now to communicate the gospel to people who have no hope. So uh, this is a bit of a tag, you're it uh, this morning. You, uh, you and I are the ones who know God in Jesus Christ. And so we are the ones who get to share the good news of the gospel with others. Let us not allow the members of our family, nor our neighbors, um, nor our coworkers, nor anyone else to devolve to the point of despair. Um, certainly let us not despair of life. It is the very gift of God. All right. I'm going to talk with Dr. Linda Mental about this and also um, other mental health effects of the pandemic. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. You know her from the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can also find her online at drlindamental.com. Linda, welcome back. Good to be with you again, Carmen. How are you? I am well. It is well with my soul. I'm physically well. My people are well. I am well. Good. How about you? Good, 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 good. Hey, I loved what you were talking about in terms of despair. Um, not that I love despair, but I think it's just so important for all of us who are believers to just keep in mind, you know, the bigger purpose of life. Like, why are we here? What is our calling? What is our purpose? And bring that meaning into the Christian life. I mean, so much about being a Christian is that we have a purpose here. We have something that we are to fulfill around this time of the year when everybody's dealing with graduations. You know, you you, you give graduates the verse that, you know, there's a purpose for your life and there's something that God is going to do with you that's going to be amazing. And I think all of us have to hang on to that, uh, that idea that we do have a purpose and something that we are fulfilling as long as we have breath on this earth. God is using us for his glory and his purposes. We don't really always know what an impact we're having on the people around us, whether it's a kind word, an act of love, um, you know, forgiving someone, uh, being empathetic to their situation, all of that has tremendous impact on the lives of other people. So we need to stay positive and hopeful that regardless of what is going on, that through it all, that's the, the old Andre Crouch song, right? We've learned to trust in Jesus. We've learned to uh, understand that he has something very important for us to continue to do. So I hope everybody listening remembers that. Think about what you feel like is your calling in life. What is it God wants you to do? And focus on that during this time and look around and look for the need and see what you can do to help fulfill it. And if you need to, take your camp chair or your lawn chair out and set it on the edge of the curb and just wave at everybody who passes by and just consider it a parade in your honor. Yeah, I mean, just like, I think right. I mean, some stuff we just got to we just got to get out there and do some stuff. Right. Right. I think I saw somebody bagging up oranges the other day from uh, a fresh market and um, they were taking them in little bags and they were dropping them off onto people's doorsteps. And I thought, what a nice gesture just to their neighbors to say, here, here's some fresh fruit. Here's something that, 
uh, lets you know that there are others around you. I care about you. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you. All of those things are so good, and they keep us connected. And that's that part that you mentioned that is so important because our brains are wired for connecting with other people. So anything we can do to stay connected to the people around us, even though we can't physically touch them, maybe we can still stay very connected in the way we communicate with them. That reminds me of um, the Sweet Monday Project Cupcake, right? There are all kinds of things that you can you can bag up, and you don't have to do it in a fan, in any sort of fancy way. You can use a brown paper sack. You could use a grocery bag. Um, right. You know, a couple of muffins, a couple of cupcakes, set it on the porch of a neighbor with a little note that just says, you know, Sweet Monday to you. Call if you need anything. Um, like, right? Let's let's do what we know feeds our soul, and sometimes that is simply sweetening the day of another person. Linda, you've got a number of um, of posts right now that I would love to talk through, um, and this is uh, not an easy place to start, um, but I do think it's important to talk about when home is not a nice place to be. This has been one of the biggest concerns that I've had throughout the pandemic has been the the domestic violence that could be going on in so many homes, Carmen. When you're in a small space or you're locked together with people that uh, lose their temper, that have anger issues, that have not been very nice to begin with, and then you put all this stress you know, on, on someone, maybe they've lost their job, uh, maybe the kids are having difficulty adjusting to all the changes, there's a lot of yelling, screaming, arguing in the home. It's just a really bad setup for people that have um, domestic violence problems to just get even worse. And so I've been very concerned about that during the the pandemic. I've been posting the domestic violence hotline, which is 1-800-799-SAFE, on a lot of the blogs and a lot of the um, media that I've gone on during this time, because I want people to know that there is a helpline. You can call that helpline. You can talk to someone. And people are still working with uh, those that are caught in that violent situation to help them with with some safety and do what they can do. Um, so I would just encourage anybody who's listening who maybe feels stuck in that to reach out to that hotline and let them talk you through some strategies on how to either keep the, the environment a little calmer. Um, that doesn't mean you're enabling this this violence, but there are times when we have to do certain things so that we don't accelerate anger and upset. But that is a real problem that so many people are facing. Again, um some of those contact numbers, the crisis text line, you text the word home to 74174. Text the word home to 74174. If you need help, um, if home is not a safe place to be, text the word home to 74174 or um, call one of the other uh, lines that Linda has listed Again, you just go to drlindamental.com. There's a whole list of resources posted at on, on the blog when home is not a nice place to be. Linda, let's take a brief break. And when we come back, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about pushing ourselves to stay motivated while we're at home. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Before um, Linda and I return to that conversation, I just feel like having um, having just heard Pastor Colin Smith 
from Unlocking the Bible. Um, I think today's the first day that I get to tell you about this um, summer in the scriptures thing. Thing? I don't know. We're having a thing um, with uh, with Open the Bible. Um, and so you're just going to go to openthebible.org, and we're going to do this summer in the scriptures thing with Pastor Colin Smith, and you can start signing up today. We're going to do um, 50 Bible lessons in 50 days. It's going to be really fun this summer. And so summer in the scriptures, you can join at myfaithradio.com, or you can go to openthebible.org. Um, yeah, summer in the scriptures. It's going to be really fun. All right. So back to my conversation with Dr. Linda Mintel. Um, wow. This um, this particular post, um, uh, this is where I'm living. Let me just read the lead here. Uh, pushing yourself to stay motivated. How motivated are you to get up every day and keep doing what you're doing? Well, I'm motivated, Linda, because I get to do this. But when you uh, when you say, hey, when all of this started, I had lots of projects and work to catch up on. Now the days have fallen more dully into a routine and motivation is waning. Um, yeah, that's me. There were some things that at the start of this, I thought to myself, well, I am at least going to get my closet cleaned out. I'm going to get that manuscript done. I'm going to get that book proposal off. Da, da, da. I haven't done any of those things. <laughs> I haven't done it. I haven't done any of those things. So talk with garage. me. Yeah, well, there we go. Talk with me about motivation. There's a, there's some science to all of this. Yeah, and it's it's harder now that we're home and we're having to do it on our own. I think that is a huge difference because when you get up, you go to an office or wherever your workplace is and you are around other people and their expectations, and, you know, you have to start getting engaged and involved. When you're home, you're sitting there and you're going, "Okay, I have all these things to do." I just don't feel like doing them. And there's nobody pushing you to say you've got to do it. So one of the things that really, really does help, and I've had my medical students are struggling with this now. It's been too many weeks where they're not, you know, getting, you know, stimulated by the other students and the professors and the environment and the anatomy lab and all that stuff. But it doesn't matter what your job is. It's all it's this is the same principle. And I keep saying, get up at the same time, get a schedule going and start doing your schedule. I mean, get up, get your coffee, get dressed you know, maybe go on a short run or some kind of walk in the morning or something that, you know, gets you stimulated and going and add a few rituals to that routine that you usually do. Waking up at the same time, going to bed at the same time, that will help you get moving. You just need that routine to continue. And I know that's one of the things a lot of parents are struggling with, with the schoolwork and trying to finish that. But I would, you know, a lot of people are becoming homeschoolers without ever thinking they would homeschool. And they're finding out what homeschool moms and dads do is they have a routine and a schedule and they get everybody up and they start to do that. So that is uh, one of the key factors. The other one is this, this something I talked about in the blog called the Goldilocks effect. And if you just think of the story of Goldilocks, you know, one porridge was too cold, one was too hot, but one was just right. And this has to do with how you challenge yourself during the day. So you have to have some small goals or some reasonable things that you do to challenge yourself. But if you make them too big, it's like the porridge, the porridge that's too hot. You know, it's just too much. You're going to fall short. You're going to get lose motivation. You're not going to want to do it. If it's not enough challenge, you get bored real easy and you just stop working. So the idea here is to have some small 
doable challenges that you continue to work on. And the way you do that for learning purposes, we, we have this thing called chunking the learning, where you take small chunks of information, you do them for about 50 minutes, you take a little bit of a break, and then you do them again. And you repeat and do this retrieval of learning over and over and over. And that's one of the ways you get things done is that you chunk it, you, you break it down into small pieces, you celebrate small little goals as they're coming up. You did that. Oh, I got that list done. I got that part of my to-do list checked off. I did that small task for work that I really didn't want to do. Um, and you keep moving forward on these little motivations until you get into something called the flow. And a lot of people have written about flow where you get so invested in what you're doing, you forget about time, you forget about what's around you, and you're just in the zone. Now, I can honestly say, Carmen, I haven't had too many moments of that at home. <laughs> I had one or two where I was really invested in a project and I was able to get really quiet time and really focus on it. But you have to keep internally motivating yourself by saying, I'm going to feel better if I get this done. I'll be so glad I used my time wisely to do this. A lot of self-talk that you're doing during this, where you're telling yourself, just keep moving forward. Oh, that was good. That was a good step. Move forward another step. Um, it's a little bit like I said in the article, a little bit like athletic training where you're, you're, you know, it doesn't feel good every day, but you're pushing yourself, you're getting there. When you get to the end of a goal, you're going to feel really good and you won't feel like you wasted your time during the pandemic. All right. And then I love this, um, this article that you have posted about the benefits of the family meal. And again, I'm talking with Dr. Linda Mental. You can find all of this at drlindamental.com. Um, talk with us uh, about the benefits of the family meal. Yeah, I am so glad that in some ways the pandemic has brought families together to eat meals again because I have been talking about this for years because it is a it is it is something so simple to do that has such huge benefits. So the benefits are, you know, it decreases your children's risk behavior. So it mean that means that your kids, if they're having family meals, are less likely to drink, to smoke, to use illegal drugs, to have sex at a young age, just right there. Those are huge benefits. We've been talking about despair. If you have family meals together, because this is a connecting time for families at dinner, the families, the children are less likely to get into fights, to be um, suicidal, which is one of the things we're very concerned about. And then there are the health benefits that when families sit down and they actually have meals together, typically it improves nutrition, people eat better, you're having conversations, you're connecting with each other, you're building that intimacy that is so lacking sometimes in American families today because everybody's busy and distracted. And you're improving your child's academic success and their self-esteem and their resilience. And people are thinking, really? Just to sit down and have a meal? But there's so much more going on during that family dinner time where you are, you are having an attachment to the people around you. You're tuning into their emotional needs. You're connecting. You're laughing. Hopefully you keep dinner time light. And, and you know, you're, this is not a time where you bring up heavy topics, but you're really connecting with each other. It can really be something powerful in a family's life. So my encouragement is try to get it started during this time when we're all quarantined and then carry it over when we start engaging back into our other life again. Yeah, created as such a value that no one will want to give it up. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. My Mother's Day cards yesterday uh, definitely featured uh, everyone's appreciation that I cook all the time for everybody. Like I, yeah. uh, th- people love it. People love to sit down at table together and um, and have fellowship. And so the ways in which you can make that happen in your own homes, uh, Linda and I want to, we want to celebrate that. We want you to be doing that more and more and more. All right, Linda, thank you so much for joining us. As always, you guys can listen to Linda on the Dr. Linda Mental Show right here on the Faith Radio Network. And you can check out what she is blogging about and all of her books at drlindamental.com. We'll be right back. All right, what in the world is going on in the world? That is the conversation I'm having next with Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. We're going to talk about China. We're going to talk about Prime Minister Boris Johnson's speech yesterday to the UK and what's going on there. Uh, we are going to talk, um, well, we'll see what else comes up. I want to I want to ask him also about uh, headlines I'm reading related to Hong Kong. Protests have resumed and so have arrests of protesters. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. We pass much of life at mid-altitude. Most of life is Monday-ish obligations of carpools, expense reports, and recipes. Occasionally, we summit a peak, our wedding, a promotion, the birth of a child. But when the housing market crashes or a test report comes back negative, before we know it, we discover what the bottom looks like. In Psalm 139.7, David asked, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? You'll never go where God is not. Acts 17, 27 reminds us he is not far from each of us. The psalmist determined, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. When all around my soul gives way, he then is still my hope and stay. Remember the song? Let it encourage you. Let it remind you to cling to his unchanging character. God is faithful. He is not caught off guard. He uses everything for his glory and your ultimate good. You will get through this. This is Max Locato. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me now, Dr. David Aikman. He is editor of Godspeed Magazine. Welcome back, sir. Amen. So nice to be on the program again. Well, we have a lot of ground to cover today. We're going to start with uh, China, big subject matter area in a world that um, desperately wants to identify someone to blame uh, there's definitely a bad guy narrative emerging emerging related to China, but China kind of deserves a bad guy uh, narrative. So I also don't want to miss the headlines related to Hong Kong this morning where protests, uh, you know, protesters reemerged yesterday, pro-democracy protesters, and that has sparked the arrests of more than 230 people. So just deal with the, the big, broad subject area category of China. Okay, well, China is really on the defensive and has been in all of its public pronouncements at foreign ministry briefings and at editorials in the official press because it's really on the back foot from accusations from around the world that it completely misled the global health community about the nature of, of the coronavirus and concealed information that would have been very helpful for countries combating it as as the virus expanded. And in addition to that, the situation in Hong Kong is really a continuation of the democracy protests that broke out last year 
in the wake of an attempt to impose a new law on Hong Kong of extradition for people suspected of um, crimes that that could be given serious punishment in the mainland. So these protests come at a very inconvenient time in China's political narrative because the world community has basically taken a very dim view of China. And that is being heightened by excessive force used to suppress these demonstrations. All right. And we don't know the end of the narrative yet um, related to responsibility or, you know, a precise, uh, verifiable timeline in terms of when China knew what we now think they knew much earlier than they told anyone else. And so maybe we'll let that sit for another week or so as that trend continues to develop, because I'd love to talk with you about Prime Minister Boris Johnson's speech yesterday. Um, There are, you know, the UK has been the coronavirus epicenter for Europe. Um, However, there is a deep desire um, to return to some portions of normalcy. The prime minister talked a little bit about that yesterday, Um, but there seems to be some confusion related to what he said as well. So brief us in. Well, you've probably all seen the uh, YouTube video, which is very funny, by an American woman saying, uh, these are the instructions for coronavirus. Stay at home, but don't stay at home if you have to go out. That sort of thing. (laughs) Well, basically, Boris Johnson, in his talk last night, uh, seemed to mimic this lady in his sort of plummy British tones because he said that if you couldn't work from home, then you really should try to work, should have to go to work. But he didn't give any instructions as to how people would get there on transport if they didn't have their own cars, or for that matter, what the rules would be at work apart from the normal social distancing. As everybody knows, in factories and other construction areas, it's very difficult to have social distancing if you don't have proper PPE, you know, the protective equipment needed to ensure security in in virus situations. So many people said, well, that was a good speech, but it was full of contradictions. We want to know what details are. So we're waiting for bigger instructions from the government on how this should be actually carried out. I particularly liked the, um, you know, stay at home as much as possible, but get out into the sunshine as much as you want. So yes. that was the that was the portion of the speech. Like, get out there and, you know, have some, uh, you know, take care of your body. Go bike riding. Go go for a walk. Um, you know, get get some sun, but stay at home. Like, I yeah, that was the part that for me, I was like, I don't know how you do that. All right. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I think a lot of Brits are scratching their heads at that too. Uh, so, um, Dr. Aikman, let's talk a little bit about what's going on in um, in Israel, and then after the break, I want to talk with you about VE Day. So, uh, so what's going on in Israel that we need to know about? Because it seems as if, um, wow, it just seems as if, in terms of government leadership, it's just a mess. Well, it, it was a mess, but now it's actually become a little clearer. 
the president of Israel has given approval to a, a unity government between uh, Benjamin Netanyahu of the Likud uh, and Benny Gantz of the uh, Blue and White Party. They will share government with Netanyahu being prime minister for the first 18 months, followed by Gantz having the prime minister for the second 18 months. But the most important thing is that both leaders, Gantz and Netanyahu, agreed that Israel will annex the West Bank settlements of Judea and Samaria, which are uh, under Israeli control right now, and they will essentially annex the whole of the West Bank. And this is all part of the Trump peace process, curiously opposed by the Palestinians, although mildly uh, accepted by some of the neighboring um, Arab governments. But it's going to be a big, uh, a big international crisis when Israel actually uh, implements the annexation and carries on as if the West Bank settlements are now an integral part of the Israeli national patrimony. We'll have to see how people respond to that. All right, um, Dr. Aikman, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, uh, let me just tell our listeners, you're going to be hearing a little bit of audio that is not Dr. David Aikman nor myself. It is President Truman and King George the sixth. We're going to listen to that, and then we're going to hear Dr. Aikman's story of his mom on VA on VE Day. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. General Eisenhower informs me that the forces of Germany have surrendered to the United Nations. The flags of freedom fly all over Europe. For this victory, we join in offering our thanks to the providence which has guided and sustained us through the dark days of adversity. We give thanks to Almighty God for a great deliverance. All right, so there was thanksgiving to God. There was a unity of spirit and a bond of peace across many, many nations around the world. People united in a way that has, um, frankly, not been really seen since. Dr. David Aikman, we're talking about VE Day, the 75th anniversary of which was just this past Friday. Talk with us about VE Day, and then I understand you have a story of your mom to tell. Well, I do, but VE Day was a tremendous event for the people of Great Britain because it amounted to the conclusion of our a gargantuan struggle with Nazi Germany that began in 1939 and of course ended with the surrender of the Germans in May 1945. And everybody poured into the streets. Of course, there was a famous scene of Winston Churchill and the royal family standing on the balcony of Buckingham Palace, acknowledging the approval and support of the crowds. Now, the interesting thing is that Churchill was not at that time prime minister. He'd been elected out of office by Clement Attlee, the Labour prime minister, who introduced a radical socialist program that uh, changed the face of Great Britain 
fundamentally over the next five years. But at the local level, and my mother told me about this, the festivities were quite extraordinary. For example, people had saved up alcohol and sugar and other Russian rationed items for months, knowing that there was going to be a big celebration. And of course, there was. And when it took place, parties went on, not just for a few hours on one day, BE day itself, but sometimes for several days. And my mother says she cannot remember any party at that particular time of her life that resembled the gargantual celebrations of VE Day. Quite an amazing experience. You know, if we think about the full timeline of the Second World War, uh, we probably have to go, you know, I don't know, we have to go back to the very, very, very early 1930s. I mean, by 33, Hitler's already the chancellor of Germany and the Dachau concentration camp is already open. So, you know, we would need to go back further in time in terms of when when it really started. Um, And so if we but if we use 1933 as as one point of reference, 1945 is a long time from 1933. Like it's just a staggeringly long period of time. It is. And people forget that even before the war started in for most of Europe in September 1939, it had been going on for Germany uh, essentially since Hitler took charge in 1933. The whole country was tightened up under the vice-like grip of the Nazi party with concentration camps, the Gestapo, Um, all kinds of draconian measures to control people's lives and control their free speech. And it was a very grim experience for them. Although, to be honest, many Germans claim, and I think in some cases truthfully, that they were not aware of the horrors being imposed upon Jews and other minority citizens by the Nazis during the war, even though the people who captured the camps uh, close to the city of Weimar insisted that, uh, that this is the American generals insisted, Eisenhower being one of them, that German civilians be forced to go through the camps to see what their regime had produced in terms of atrocities for people imprisoned there. Quite an amazing experience for them. So if we fast forward 75 years, you know, I just think that there are just so many people who have such a short and limited view of history and and so localized. There are lots of people listening in the United States of America right now who don't know enough about uh, the history of World War II to... Um, to even fully grasp what we're talking about in terms of what the VE Day celebration 75 years ago really meant for people who we now consider, um, you know, allies and friends. Um, but there was a real, there was a real battle of worldviews. And one of those worldviews um, won the day. And yet the other worldview has not completely gone away. Um, we still see vestiges of uh, of Nazism in the world today, and that troubles me. Of course, 
I mean, there will always be people who take the view that society be, can, can be controlled and improved by draconian restrictions on activities and the enforcement of a sort of utopian program of social engineering. Most of these programs have been actually arranged by communist-type regimes, although there have been a few societies which have applied the Nazi-style state fascism approach. Um, and in a few countries of the world, that is still being implemented today. Which takes us full circle um, all the way back to our conversation about China. Right. Well, I think China is an un a country under the unfortunate grip of a regime that uh, espouses a policy of social engineering that requires totalitarian control, which the Communist Party has been only too willing to apply, but which is completely ineffective in responding to social needs as these excessive policies are being implemented. And the, the sad thing is that the Chinese people have really been given no chance to express their own will on the policy goals of these, uh, of these very fierce policies. And in spite of the Chinese government always saying, oh, the feelings of the Chinese people are being insulted when you criticize China. In fact, the feelings of the Chinese people have never been consulted, much less insulted, uh, by the regime itself. So it, it's a very unfortunate situation. Yeah, I have the people of China on my uh, on my prayer list because I do feel as if um, they there is an opportunity for for genuine renewal, um, but it's going to have to be spirit led because in order to penetrate into um, what's going on deep in the heart of China, it is going to require a massive response by massive numbers of people in a country where we now have generational social engineering. So, Dr. Aikman, thank you, as always, for helping us think soberly through the issues of our day. Thank you for helping us do so from a Christian worldview and with such great joy. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Carmen. Appreciate being on. Likewise. Blessings. We'll be right back. Okay, Paul Perot and I hope you were listening uh, closely and carefully. And if you were not, uh, you got to go get today's podcast later today when it's posted just to hear David Aikman sarcastically skewer someone. The if man you can turn it, a phrase, man. He can turn a phrase. <laughs> I hope you were paying attention. If you weren't, you can always get the podcast because Paul always dutifully uploads it. You can get that at MyFaithRadio.com. Dot com. All right. Thank you again for your participation in Spring Share. Uh, if you feel like you missed out, well, don't feel like you missed out. You can still participate. Text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. You can give securely online at MyFaithRadio.com. Tons of other really great stuff posted today at MyFaithRadio.com. You know, as always, we're giving away a Bible. As always, you can sign up for prayer. You can sign up for the verse of the day. On and on and on. Lots of great stuff. And today is also the day that we open up the opportunity to sign up for the Open the Bible Summer in the Scriptures series. All right. Um, we'll be right back here tomorrow. All kinds of great stuff going on. Have a great day and God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.